Let's talk about the new stronger measures put in place by Toronto Public Health last. It's going to last for uh, 12 weeks. That's till the end of June. You know, people were emailing, texting me saying, are they saying the end of June? And I said, yeah, is the hope that we if we take these directives very seriously, um, that that 12 weeks could end up being shortened to, you know, maybe eight, maybe 10. Well, I think the 12 weeks was meant to be realistic in the context of what was expected by way of the number of people who we thought would contract uh, the virus. But uh, anything is possible. I mean, it, it, you know, and we're going to probably see, hopefully in the next little while, like the next very short while, whether the social uh, distancing, the physical distancing people have been doing better at um, is having a positive effect. And it should show itself as it has done elsewhere, South Korea, um, you know, some of the countries there, um, in a reduced number of new cases. Um, and that's that's where you'll know that we've started to you know break the back of this thing. But uh, you know we've got some ways to go. I mean we've even seen as recently as a few days ago people who are not paying attention to the uh, physical distancing and whatnot. And we've got a big weekend coming up where normally with Passover and with uh, Easter people are wanting to be with people they don't live with, and that's unfortunately just not supposed to be on. Okay, so you brought up the fact that um, two big religious events are coming this weekend. We've got Passover's tomorrow. We have Easter uh, this weekend. Are you seriously concerned that people are going to do what they did in the States, disregard orders meant to keep us safe? Like, how are you planning to deal with this? It was actually brought to my attention yesterday by one of the city councillors and by an MP and MPP that they were seeing New York license plates around. Now, there's nothing wrong with New York license plates, although it's supposed to be only like Canadians coming back here uh, or others on essential travel. But what they were concerned about was that there were maybe visitors coming from New York, of all places, uh, to celebrate either Passover or, or Easter. And uh, I would just say, yes, I'm worried that people will say, oh, well, it's Easter. We can just go over to grandma's house for the Easter egg hunt or something like that. When we're, in fact, saying sorry, if you're really serious about wanting to bring this to an end and and more importantly, serious about saving lives, you will have Easter in your own house with the people you live with all the time. So there is no chance that you're going to pass this virus on or somebody's going to pass it to you. And so I'm very worried about it. But I do think people are starting to get the message in a more serious way. I think when those numbers came out at the end of last week about projected possible deaths in Toronto and we saw numbers in the hundreds and thousands I think people maybe got the message that we've been seeing you know for some time and sort of governing ourselves accordingly in terms of the restrictions we've placed on uh, people and the recommendations we've made to them since this pandemic began about 40 percent of food banks uh, have have closed and so the need has increased yesterday four new food banks opened at four Toronto Public Library branches another two food banks are scheduled to open today Uh, They're stocked through donations from corporations, I understand. What areas of the city are in most need, John? Well, it's all over the place. I mean, because unfortunately, we have people who are either uh, people who are, you know, quite consistently in need, meaning before the pandemic, but also now we have more people who've been thrown out of work and are without money uh, during the pandemic. And so the 10 food banks that will ultimately be in the libraries by the end of this week are spread across the city. Uh, And we have a program, just so the listeners know, uh, for mainly meant for people that are 70 plus who, you know, we've kind of really strongly suggested, in fact, required. Uh, be isolated uh, and some of them are already tested for COVID positive so they're recovering and that is meant to deliver food to them. Uh, this is done through the Red Cross and uh, in cooperation with organizations like the United Way. So we have a whole myriad of programs. The best place for people to look and see what's available is at 211. They can phone there or go to Toronto211.ca uh, 
and uh, sorry, 211toronto.ca. And there they can find all these programs. But the idea is to make sure that no one is going without food, no matter what's happened to them in terms of their job and no matter if they're older and used to other people looking after them. Uh, we just want people to make sure they're fed. That's obviously crucially important. I got a tweet from Rafi Aaron who uh, tweeted out, and you probably saw this because he started with your Twitter handle, at John Tory last Monday, my interview with Kelly Gutrera. I congratulated you for taking the only decisive action to save the lives of those in shelters, the acquisition of hotels with COVID-19 kicking in shelter doors. I I can't believe a week's been gone by and the landscape has not completely shifted. Um, One of a street nurse named Kathy Crow uh, started this thread and uh, she says that medically vulnerable people are, are not being moved quick enough into these facilities. What can you tell us about that and why is there a holdup? Oh, it's frustrating because I think we had made arrangements to secure the property some time ago and without boring the listeners, uh, you know, there end up being issues that fit into two categories. The one is we have to make sure that they're not just put in hotels, but also that they have uh, adequate medical care, uh, you know, to make sure that because these are people that we're putting in there to isolate them uh, if they've tested positive or if they have test results that are pending. So we don't know if they're positive. And so there has to be adequate medical care. And there's been some challenge with that, uh, just given that a lot of the medically trained people are you know, otherwise engaged and so on. But we're making huge progress on both these issues. And then the second are the inevitable legal issues. I'm a lawyer, so I get frustrated with my own profession sometimes. But, you know, just uh, questions that arise about who's responsible for what. And these things are bothersome to me. I understand them in a certain way, but uh, we're in a war here against this virus. And so sometimes you can't just put the law to one side, but you have to resolve these issues faster. But I think we're, I think we're there. We've set up a number of these facilities already, the smaller ones, but the bigger ones that are in the hotels where we literally took over a whole hotel have been slower to get up and running and um, I think we're there though and it's just taken a lot of hard work by a lot of people they've tried hard it's just that people have these issues to sort out and sometimes they seem uh, they seem more complex than they are or they are more complex than they seem John I don't envy you I mean last year it looked like you had a dream job there you were with the NBA champions you know wearing your Raptors jacket and look at where we are now with the pandemic I mean uh, you had to self-isolate and, and do a very important job from home. You uh, no doubt are in meetings nonstop. You're taking uh, media questions, being very generous with your time. Um, I, I just wonder, uh, how are you guys coping? Like when I look at the the public health uh, officers and, and uh, politicians right now, it seems odd that I'd be asking about how you're doing. But it's very important that you guys are doing well so that we are actually a well taken care of. What do you do? Well, it's kind that you ask. I mean, we are human beings. I think people often forget that in their sometimes their anger about politicians, and I get why they're angry sometimes at us. But we're human beings, and we, um, you know, we have health that you have to worry about. We have uh, levels of frustration we'll face in our jobs. But I'll tell you something. Um, first of all, you shouldn't sign up for one of these jobs unless you're prepared to take, uh, you know, uh, moments of great stress where you're having to make decisions that affect people's lives, and they're very difficult. None of these are easy. If you thought I took any joy in signing something that closed down playgrounds for kids or when I tell people that they shouldn't go anywhere for Easter or Passover, they should just stay home. I don't take any joy in that, but you you have to sort of measure that against the fact that there are going to be lives potentially lost. And, you know, when it comes to the homeless and vulnerable, I can just tell you, for example, that there is no issue, properly so, that we've spent more time on in our emergency command center than how to look after people who are more vulnerable. And there are those people who seemingly don't understand that there are no magic answers to this. They'll say, oh, just snap 
your fingers and something will happen. Well, life doesn't work that way. But I think Toronto has done well and the people have done well. Um, the people have responded by, by and large, following the advice they're getting and the orders they're getting on social distancing. And they're helping each other out. There's a lot of great examples of volunteerism that's happening in our city. And so I look at the job this way. I say, well, you get moments of an indescribable joy, like the Raptors winning, and you get moments of deep sorrow about what's going on, like the Young Street van attack, which was almost a, a year, a two years ago, and uh, this, which is obviously causing heartache for a lot of people. But your job is to step up and make sure that heartache is minimized so that people who've lost their jobs get support, people who are experiencing homelessness get support, um, and that we do our very best. So, you know, you take it all as a package deal, and uh, if you don't like that kind of uh, action, then you shouldn't apply for these jobs. We, we, my wife occasionally reminds me when I complain, which I don't often, about something at work <laughs> that I volunteered for this job and fought hard to get it. So the last Yeah, you certainly did. Last thing you should, you should uh, do when you have it is to complain about it. Let me ask you this, um, and, and one of the, we're having some problems with language, I think, um, and language maybe not being strong enough off the hop. Uh, how difficult is it to be extremely firm when you're dealing with people's lives? I mean, should we have been firmer about what you can and can't do in parks off the hop? And we're still getting, like, uh, Jason Chapman, our executive producer, reached out to Brad Ross, and he was asking about, you know, um, the parks and amenities being closed, and um, Brad was saying we ask people, you know, not to stay in any, any parks any longer than necessary. Just the the idea of asking people, do we need to be firmer? Because, you know, people's lives are at stake. Yes, and and don't think that isn't the first thing on my mind every time we have to make one of these decisions. But and so lives are at stake, and you have to sort of say, well, is it going to save lives to ban people entirely from parks? Um, and you have to, if the question, if the answer is yes, then I can tell you, I wouldn't hesitate for a second to say, fine, people are banned from parks and I would sign something to that effect. Um, but there, there is a margin, you know, that you, that, and I think in this case, what we've done by saying you can't go on the amenities in the parks, you can go to the parks, but I've been not prepared to sign a bylaw that some people criticized me for and said it was very restrictive to say you had to stay two meters away from other people. Uh, this is kind of the restriction that we don't see very often in our society. So I think you can be sure. I've certainly said to the medical officer of health, anything she believes we have to do to save lives and to stop people from getting sick and to bring this nightmare to an end, I would agree to it. And, and you know, and, and even though I know that some people would criticize some of these things as being too restrictive on people's rights or, or their, their pleasures, um, but my position has been all the way through, and that's why you've seen Toronto move first on everything. We move first on bars and restaurants. We move first on tighter restrictions. We move first on parks and playgrounds. We move first on the, the distancing bylaw that I signed last week because we placed first and foremost without fear of people being critical of it that uh, we were saving lives here and getting this over with sooner and uh, so, so why wouldn't you close the parks john well, is it just a challenge because they're so massive? Well, it's practical. I mean, it's very difficult practically to think about how you would close High Park. I mean, you'd have to have like, right. the biggest roll of yellow tape in world history or deploy hundreds of bylaw and police officers to stand around the park to keep people out. So really what we focused on instead is trying to get people to change their behavior and be respectful of what we've said. And our message, I don't think anybody could be mistaken about it, uh, from the medical officer, from me, from the prime minister, the premier, stay home. You know, and, and I don't know how we could be plainer than that. Now, we do then start to talk about what you do in the park if you have to be there, which is stay away from other people and from crowds and whatnot. But our fundamental message has been very consistent. And we've gone to the length, again, of declaring a whole bunch of businesses non-essential so people can't go to work. Their work is closed. And that's all with a view to getting people to stay home. And I think we're making progress. But, um, you know, there's still more to be done. And I will just say this because the scientists have told me without contradiction – 
the more we self-distance, the more we self-isolate, the more we stay home, uh, the faster this will be over with. That Mr. Here? Mayor, I know that I'm, I'm pushing it here and I don't have a lot of time, but I've just got a tweet from someone who is living in Etobicoke and is she said the numbers of affected vulnerable people were reported much higher than 700. Please address the compens and, uh, you know, how we're going to compensate losses of food during this 34 plus hour power outage. What's going to be done for those poor people in Etobicoke right now? I like I haven't even begun to consider. My focus was on getting the power back on, and I will just tell you yeah. it's one of those situations where there was water damage done to a cable. They had to call special crews in to fix it, and these things sometimes take time. You'd like it to be done in an hour. They got it done in in, in short order, relatively speaking. But I realize people were without power for a long time, and I don't know what we have historically done with uh, food that's gone bad. If anything, I just don't know, and that's so I'll, I'll right. certainly make an inquiry about that. But we did uh, the hydro got it fixed as fast as they could. It was an unusual circumstance. That didn't just require the regular crews to deal with it. One question leads to another. It's it's not an easy role you have right now, and I do appreciate your time, John. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and Kelly, I hope it's always you my stay pleasure safe. Too. Thank you to the listeners for cooperating and for being good citizens at Passover and Easter. Stay home, please. All right, you heard it right there Thanks. from the mayor, John Tory.